May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Excuse me just a minute. I got to get this going. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning to learn more about you and the wonderful this wonderful gospel you have given us in God, your son. You told the Israelites in the very beginning, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Help us this day to take the truths of your word and fix them in our hearts. Give us ears with which to hear and hearts with which to understand. Write upon our hearts the commandments of your word and help us to apply them in our lives. Take the wisdom of this passage as we look into it and open our minds to its glorious truths. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The next few messages, those on the last part of chapter 1, must be accompanied by a warning. A warning from the Holy Spirit. That warning is given to all believers that these verses are detrimental to your self-esteem and your comfort level as a believer. It has been my observation over the last several decades that many who profess to be believers of the Reformed faith suffer from a very strange malady and are not even aware of it. They are Reformed in their theology and they may believe very strongly in the doctrines of grace, but they are far from reformed in practice. I know from personal experience that it is extremely hard to maintain a sanctified lifestyle. In other words, we all fall into this at some time or other. However, there is a level to which those who hold to the doctrines of grace should be able to maintain a strong reformed witness. For a long time, there was one word, one word that jumped off of the page at me as I was studying scripture. It was the word commitment. This concept has been reinforced in the study of this sermon. I think this word stands at the very heart of what Peter is driving at in these next verses. How committed are you as a reformed believer to what God has called you to do with your life. The idea of membership in a church, I think, speaks very loudly to this. Many churches have done away with membership roles. Even those churches that have them, in many cases, don't bother to, to keep them current. People are not concerned about membership. I know people that have several different churches thinking they're their members. When asked about them, they just laugh. There's no sense of commitment whatsoever in them. This does not stop with membership. It goes into every area of our lives. I know that you have experienced asking someone to come have a meal with you, only to have them delay in their answer. Then later you find they didn't accept right away because they were hoping something better would come along. They, won't not, they, they would not make a def, def, definitive commitment. You must understand, Christianity requires a definite commitment out of you. It's not a commitment you can sit on hoping something better will come along. How many people have you heard say they will accept Christ later? 
What they mean is right now, right now, there are too many sins that they still want to engage in. Most of them will never come to Christ because there will always be something else they want to engage in. The thing that upsets me so much is to see people who claim to be believers doing the same thing. They don't come to Bible study because they have to, to do to, they have too much to do. Don't have time. They can't come to Sunday school because Sunday's the only day they can sleep in. They can't come to prayer meeting because it's too late. They can't, but the real truth is because they aren't committed. We have sold strange fire from the pulpits of this land. We have convinced so many that all they need to do is walk the aisle, raise the hand, and declare they believe they're all right before God. They're even told, as long as you have a solid theology, you're safe. But what a terrible lie. Peter, in these next verses, 13 through 16, calls believers to be holy. This is really a call to be committed to the teaching of the scriptures and a call to make application of that teaching in your life. You can't leave one or the other out. I have people ask me, why I don't do more application in my sermons? It always makes me sad to hear that. The reason it makes me sad is that I realize how ignorant and how misled they are. The application many want is stories that make them feel good about themselves. That's not application. You cannot preach the truth of God's word without application. The scripture itself has application. What I have learned is when they miss the application, it means they've also missed the truth. What a tragedy. The reason so many miss the truth is because they have no commitment in their lives at all. You can have the theology, but you must apply it to your everyday life if it will have any meaning at all. If you don't apply it, it's nothing. Therefore, a person who says they're reformed, they can go to church where the message is anything but reformed. They will come only come away thinking they have gotten just as much as they did when they were sitting under preaching, sound preaching. In this sermon, we will consider the call to holy living as a divine plan of God. First, we shall hear Peter's explanation of that plan. Second, we will study his warning about living out that plan. Third, he will exhort you to stand firm in the plan. Fourth, he will confirm the plan's origin. Peter has just spoken about the attitude every believer should have in coming to God's word. This is the path to this most wonderful living and lively hope that we have in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the plan of God for each and every believer. This is application. The believer must prepare his mind. He must be self-controlled and be fully hopeful of God's grace. 
Each one of these things require of you a commitment to the grace of God. This must be a commitment to the truths of Scripture, a commitment to living a holy life, a commitment to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. You cannot, you cannot enter this plan, you can't participate in its fruit without this unyielding commitment to its author and his commandments. As believers saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you cannot take your salvation lightly. Please don't do that. It is a precious gift. It's a precious gift given by a sovereign God according only to his good pleasure and will. It has been given to you not because you deserve it. Therefore, it must come across to you as the most precious thing in your life. There is no other way for a sinner to come into the presence of the holy God than through his plan and his works. Peter says, here you are in this glorious salvation. God has given you his grace, his unmerited favor, his unmerited love. Therefore, you must react to this great love by preparing your mind. Peter says you must gird up the loins of your mind. What does this mean? Well, in 1 Kings 18.46, we get an idea. The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This was all written before the advent of trousers. Men wore robes, and it was customary to take the long part of the robe and tuck it up unto the belt to allow for easier movement. In other words, to run. What Peter is saying is that you need to take anything in, around, or on your mind that can hinder your understanding, and you must get it out of the way. This is application. Put aside all the cares and concerns of this world. Don't let your preconceived ideas keep you from hearing God's word. Don't allow the troubles of this life to overwhelm you. Don't let the cares of life choke your desire to know God. Open not just your heart, but open your mind. I keep telling you that Christianity is a religion of the ear. Well, it's also a religion that requires you to think. No one can come to the kingdom of Christ unless he hears the good news and understands that it was by God's grace he is saved. He must hear and understand to produce fruit. Peter says, gird up your mind. Prepare your mind for action. Get ready to hear and understand. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. You have been saved, saved by God's grace. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the eternal purpose of God and a responsibility to show how all of that is working in your life. Get ready. There's something you must do. Not only are you to get ready for action, you're to be in complete control of what's going on in your everyday life. He says, be self-confident. Be self-controlled. 
This is a call to keep your mind clear, to keep it free of unwanted and unneeded things. To be prepared to make clear and sound judgments. Judgments based on the knowledge of God's work. This first and most important piece of information every believer must have is the awesome power of God and his sovereign providential watch care. Proverbs 1.7 tells us where this begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here is the beginning of self-control. What Peter means by being self-controlled is to recognize that it is God who is in control and not we ourselves. Self-control requires confidence in not yourself, but the knowledge of who you are. The only way you can be self-controlled is to know where his strength comes from, your strength comes from. Once you understand it is God's power that is carrying you through, you can lose everything else and still rest in him and in him alone. You can keep the emotions, fears, and anxieties under control because you recognize your total dependence on the Holy Spirit. He also says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In telling you to do these things, these other things, prepare your mind and be self-controlled. He is saying that because of the trials and sufferings you are going to endure as a believer, not to mention the persecutions, you need to always keep your attention focused on the wonderful grace, the grace that has been given you and guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Remember, in the beginning verse of this letter, he has made it clear salvation is a process. Yes, at the beginning you receive the guarantee of and the promise that once God has begun this good work in you, he'll not stop until it's complete. But you do not attain the full weight of all that is promised until Jesus Christ returns to take you to heaven with him. In the meantime, Peter says, keep your mind clear and alert, be ready, and always focused on this great gift you're given. You've been called. You've been chosen. You are the elect. Given a new life in Christ Jesus. And there is a divine plan for bringing you into the state of perfection promised in Christ. That plan is is to bring you to maturity and holiness in this life. Please note, I didn't say into a perfect holy life. Not one here on on earth, but into a mature life of holiness. He begins explaining this plan with a strong warning about your actions. As a believer, you have been made a new creature. All the old ways have been done away with. You have been forgiven your sins and cleansed of your guilt by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You've been chosen. Chosen in Jesus Christ to be a part of God's family. One of his children, an heir and a joint heir with Christ. Therefore, people say in verse 14, Peter says in verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Again, this is a command. 
It's a direct command. You are commanded to be obedient children. You are commanded to turn away from your evil and sinful ways. He calls you, he calls you obedient children because that's what you're called to be. You are called from darkness into light. Let's review. God has given you a new heart and spirit. Placing his spirit in your heart. Do you recall what his purpose was in doing this? It's to cause you to grow up into maturity and obedience to all God's commands. Do you recall from last week, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Paul and Peter make the same point. The Holy Spirit was given to you to bring you into obedience to Christ's commands, which is the foundation of the new covenant as we see in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. This is where God says he will give you a new heart and a new spirit and place his Holy Spirit in you so that you will become more and more obedient. Peter makes that even clear in verse 14. If you are one of the elect, if you are one who believes in and trusts in Christ, then you are an obedient child of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in your heart bringing you into that obedience. Now please understand, you will never be perfect in your obedience in this lifetime. But you will grow into maturity, into a life of obedience, a mature, obedient life of holiness. Why? Because that is part of the divine plan into which God called you. Please remember, once God calls you and begins his good work in you, he'll not stop until that work is complete. You are being sanctified by the power of the sovereign God through the work of the Holy Spirit. The warning continues with a reminder of where you came from. He says, not conforming yourselves to the former lust of you, as in your ignorance before you were saved. The unregenerate person lives in darkness. He is spiritually dead. He does not understand nor desire the things of God. He is ignorant of anything spiritual. Peter says, do not conform to anything from that period in your life. Once you're saved, put all the rest of it behind you. Start over. Again, let Paul add to this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Peter speaks of the evil desires we all have in our own flesh. Paul calls them patterns of this world. They are one and the same thing. As believers, you must put away all the old desires and wants. And nobody's going to say that's going to be easy. This is where commitment comes in. you really got to be committed to do this. 
You have to turn to God's word, listen to the Holy Spirit, and pattern your life after the holy and perfect life of Jesus Christ. There are four things to take from this warning. First, the children of God must prove themselves to be true children by their obedience to Christ's commands. They are asked to do this by themselves. They're not asked to do this by themselves. They are given all the help they need that you need to accomplish this frightening task through the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's there to guide, direct, and teach. Listen to him. And how do you listen to him? Read the word and let him speak to you through that word. The second, the best of God's children will never be in this lifetime, even with the Holy Spirit, to attain perfection in their actions. You can't do it. Why? Because they still have the old nature hanging on and it causes a war within. Please remember, it is this war in your members that helps you to know you are a child of God. The sinner loves his sin. He never fights with it. Only a true believer struggles with sin nature. Third, when a person is made into a new creature, there's great change in his life. He is different from his former self, and that difference becomes increasingly more apparent as he grows in grace. Fourth, the lustful desires of a sinner are both the fruits of his life and the signs of his great ignorance. This is why Peter gives such a warning. So that all believers might stop and examine their lives and actions in the light of God's word. Then on top of the warning, Peter also offers an, uh, offers an exhortation. This exhortation is a special insight into the role God called you as a believer to fulfill. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He stand, starts this with the conjunction, but. This is to clearly de de declare the contrast between what we were and what we have become. We were this, but we are now this. In 1 Peter 2.9, we hear Peter explain, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As believers, you are the elect. You are the chosen ones, the ones called out of this world into the light. What is it God has effectually called his people to be? A holy nation. This shows that the calling of God is the cause of salvation, and holy living is the effect of salvation. If God is sovereign, and we know he is because the Bible tells us he is, then you cannot be called without recognizing the effect this will bring into your life. It's going to bring a change, a good change. God called you to be his children, and the child always reflects the genes of the parent. God is holy, therefore you must be holy. You must be his child. This attitude of holiness is the one scripture speaks of more than any other in reference to God. This would be true, a true test of both testaments. 
the word holy is used as a descriptive adjective and it reveals to you the absolute purity of God. It tells you of the state. It tells you of the actions of your God's very being. What is he? He's holy. He is completely sinless. He cannot be influenced by sin. Sin cannot exist in God's presence. Peter says, you have been called by God. This calling is the initial act of this wonderful process of salvation. It is through this changing of your heart from stone to flesh, along with the giving of the Holy Spirit, that you are enabled to hear God's word and believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is a a continuation of this process of salvation. Once you have heard the gospel and believed on Jesus, then you are declared right by God and justified and adopted in his family. Then comes Peter's exhortation. Be holy in all your conduct. Here again, from the pages of Scripture, is application. It is the sovereign power of God that enables you to follow through on this command. God is not one to save and then desert his people. He does not leave them without the means to accomplish what he demands. He is always present to help you grow in obedience and faith. God calls us as his people into a life of holiness. It's not a holiness based in our own ability. It is based in the work of the Holy Spirit and we are expected as believers to be holy in everything we do, say, and think. What are we called to do is to imitate God. Paul reinforces this in Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Jesus also agrees with this, Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, shall be, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In Luke 6, 36, Jesus says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Is it not clear that the call we're given is not simply to come out of the world, but also to come into a life of imitation of this one who called us? Jesus was sent to this world. As believers in the elect of God, we are called to be in him. We are called to be reflectors of this wonderful light to others. As the elect, if we are not reflectors of this light, then we have no purpose, thus no salvation and no hope. So hear this exhortation. Find your purpose your salvation, and your hope. You find it in Jesus Christ. Peter confirms this with this very fact with his next words in verse 16. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Anybody have a problem with that? This This simple statement reinforces Peter's contention. His contention about where his message came from and the importance of the written word of God as stated in verses 10 and 11. We see this in the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. Jesus disarmed the devil with the formula. It is written. 
and using appropriate quotations from the scripture. He first responded in Matthew 4.4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Satan had to even acknowledge the authority of God's word. I think this is great. Satan had to even to come out and, and use the word to try to establish his point. He tries to make his point by quoting scripture. However, he misquotes it and tries to use it for his own evil purpose. It was the authority of the written word that renders Satan's attempts at tempting Jesus ineffective. Please, get this point. The written word demands respect and obedience. Peter takes his point from that written word. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore concentrate yourselves, and you, sh you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. His appeal to Leviticus, Leviticus comes from the fact Leviticus was written to show the holiness of God. Leviticus clearly teaches that God's people should be holy because God is holy. You must understand, salvation does not stop with your being elected. It has as its purpose the building up of a people to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It does not end with your forgiveness nor the removal of your guilt. It carries on through the producing of holiness in your life. You are called into Jesus Christ. You are called to be a reflection of him. You are called to show the world his grace and mercy through your life. You are called to be holy. Why? Because this one who called you, this one who has bled and died on your behalf, he's holy. In conclusion, I'm sure you're asking, is this not an impossible task? To be perfectly honest with you, yes, it is. If you're expected to do it on your own merits. But thanks be to the God in heaven. He gives you everything, everything you need to live out this salvation process. He changed your heart. He changed your spirit. He gave you his own Holy Spirit as a guide, teacher, and counselor. He provided the wonderful good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and gave you his full revelation. It's not by your own efforts that salvation is produced in your life, but by his marvelous grace. Believers, you're chosen by the sovereign grace of God alone. You're enabled to hear and believe on Jesus Christ by the sovereign grace of God alone. You are declared righteous by the sovereign grace based on the works and merits of Jesus Christ. You're being molded into the very image of the only begotten, being made holy by the sovereign grace of God alone. You are also being changed. You are being glorified by the sovereign grace of God alone at Christ appearing. This is the divine plan of salvation Peter speaks of in this letter. It is a wonderful, wonderful message of hope. 
Your salvation is the work of God's sovereign grace from beginning to end. Yes, in this divine plan, you are called to work. You are always enabled to carry out that work so you can never boast, but always trust in God's hand to carry you through to heaven. Won't you, this very day, open your mind, open your heart, call out to Jesus Christ, and ask him to make you a part of the holy and divine plan of salvation. He is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember that and trust in him and in him alone. Let us pray. Father, you're the creator of this world and everything in it. You're the sustainer of all life and you're the redeemer of your people. We come today thanking you for this glorious gift of a new heart. We thank you for the promises that come with, with this new heart. We are filled with wonder and gratitude for the marvelous gift of a Holy Spirit living in us. We can never know a more powerful expression of the eternal hope of your gospel. You have told us we're your temple, and as your children, your Holy Spirit dwells in us. What a privilege and honor you have given us. Help us to live our lives to show that honor. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.